بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد فان احسن الكلام كلام الله وخير الهدى هدى محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وإن شر الأمور محدثاتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار uh, So this is lesson number 7 in our series on the wisdoms behind the commands and the prohibitions of the Sharia In the previous lesson we took some benefits from uh, the speech of Shaykh al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah just some further insights into the topic and we just wanted to kind of seal our lessons in this series with some of these uh, insights uh, from Shaykh al-Islam Ibn Taymiyyah <coughs> from what we discussed in the previous lesson was looking at Specifically with respect to the first necessity, the first zarura, which is Islam, the, the deen of Islam, which is religion. And we looked at ways in which religion is preserved. And we looked at a number of illustrations. From those illustrations that we looked at was how the deen of Islam that it establishes love in the heart of the servant as a means of establishing religion, meaning making religion, making deen to have a tangible existence, a real existence by inculcating love, mahabba in the hearts of the people. And there are a variety of ways in which it uh, does this. So we quoted from Ibn Taymiyyah in that regard. Likewise, we looked at takbir, just one example of many in the Sharia, just takbir itself and the various situations and scenarios in which a person makes takbir and the significance of those you know, situations and how it basically instills tawheed in the hearts of the people and makes them recognize the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and how this maintains and preserves the religion. Why? By, by you know, establishing and rooting these beliefs and actions of the heart into you know into the heart to make sure the religion remains strong in the hearts of the people we then moved on to looking at another manifestation and this is the fact that we are ordered to adhere to the religion to learn the religion and also to invite other people to the religion all of this there are many many texts uh, in the Quran and the Sunnah, we brought a lengthy passage from Ibn Taymiyyah in that regard, and I think that's where we finished the previous lesson, and we're going to continue from that point on, onwards. <clears throat> As we finished that long quote, there was a useful classification from Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, about commands and prohibitions. He said that they are of three types. When we look at every command, every prohibition, we see that they fall into three categories. And we mentioned, mentioned them previously. The first one is aqli, aqli which is rational. The second which is milli, which is religious, just general religious. And the third one is shari, 
which is legislative. And this is specifically to do with Islam and the Islamic Sharia. So, so this is basically taken from a quote from uh, Ibn Taymiyyah. So as for the first one, Al-Aqli, for Al-Aqli, it is whatever all of the intelligent people from Bani Adam. So this is all of mankind now, right? This is the whole of mankind. That which they have agreed upon. That they are agreed upon that there are certain things which are uh, commanded, which bring benefit, and there are certain things which are prohibited, which are to be avoided. Right? So this is what we call Aqali. And unite, agreed upon by all the sons of Adam. The second is Milli, which means what all of the people of religion and the revealed books, like the Jews and the Christians, and you know that they have actually agreed upon. And Ashari is whatever is unique to the religion of Islam, the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Then Ibn Taymiyyah goes on to explain. How has this classification, how have we come with this classification? He explains, gives the rationale or the reason behind this. So he says, first of all, when we look at all of the sons of Adam, so we look at everybody in the creation, there must be things that they command and things that they prohibit. <coughs> because their maslaha, their beneficial interests, cannot be achieved except by way of commands and prohibitions. This is general for everybody. There must be commands, there must be prohibitions. Otherwise, they're not able to, you know, live in this world, and not is a person on his own able to live, without there being things that they must do, and things that they must keep away from. Right? So this is something that's realized by all of mankind. There must be commands, and there must be prohibitions. There must be affairs which bring them benefit and there must be affairs which you know repel from them harms. In fact he says that even all animals they, they have this. Everything which has life you know they, they have this. And obviously in the case of the animals it's instinctual <coughs> and even in the case of like for example plants which have life there are certain inbuilt features which are for their survival. And other th- which which repel harm, which bring out benefit, but as it relates to mankind, then within them there are two things: there is ijtilab and there is ijtinab. Ijtilab means to draw something to yourself, to draw something out, and ijtinab is to avoid something. These are two, if you like, um, instincts which are within humans. This in turn means that there must be some sort of shahwa or desire and love inside which makes a person drawn to those things which are going to be of benefit to it. And likewise there must be some sort of aversion and hatred towards those things that it doesn't like which which is going to be harmful to it. So these two things are the basis which then lead to commands and prohibitions. Right? So if there is shahwa, desire and love inside a person towards those things that which will benefit it, then law, the law, commands those things which are of benefit to it. 
and it also prohibits those things which are, are going to be harmful to it. Right? So once this is clear, then we come to the three categorizations of, you know, that, that we looked at earlier. So the first category is what we call al-aqli. And for example, these are things that everybody is agreed upon that they are praiseworthy. So for example, as-sidq, being truthful. Right? This is known by reason that being truthful is something that is desirable and you know required. Likewise, al-adal, to be just. Likewise, ada'ul amana, to fulfill your trust. And likewise, al-ihsan, to be benevolent and kind to other people. So just by reason alone, this is you know not any law or any any revealed legislation. All of Bani Adam know just by reason that these things are, you know, something are things to be commanded, right? And these are acts of worship and acts of obedience, which are known by reason. Right? Reason tells you that. He say, he then goes on to explain that these this category itself falls into two types. Falls into two types. The first type is where the this um, act of obedience or worship known by reason, it's just of a single type. It doesn't have any subdivisions, right? For example, it's just one thing. For example, ilm, to have knowledge, or to be truthful, a sidq, right? This is it's not divisible. It's just one quality that's, that's commanded. The second category are those in which there are levels. So for example... Al-Adal, justice. Justice has various manifestations. It's not one thing. In different scenarios, justice is different. Right? Do you understand? So, so justice is something that varies according to circumstances and situations. Unlike the first category where it's just one category. It's truthfulness. Truthfulness is just truthfulness. There's no, you know, different manner. You be truthful. And likewise, you know, uh, uh, you know, other things of that nature. So, uh, so al-ilm was sidq. They are the first category. The second category is al-adal, which is justice. Ada'ul amana, right? To fulfill your trust. Again, this can have different manifestations: prayer, fasting, um, you know, things of that nature. The, these are um, vary from legislation to legislation. So anyway, so that's the second category of of the first type. The second category that we said was milli, that which is religious. This is known in all of the legislations. For example, you do not commit shirk with Allah. This is prohibited. Um, and, you know, likewise, prayer, for example, acts of worship in general, which all of the religions are, you know, uh, which which had their origin in a revealed book initially, and obviously afterwards they got corrupted. But basically they all agreed on these basic affairs, right? The prohibition of shirk, the, the commanding of tawheed, the establishing of the prayer, the giving of charity, the prohibition of murder, things of that nature, right? These are all um, known. The third category is shari, and this is unique and specific to the legislation brought by the Qur'an. And this really is a completion and perfection of previous laws, and you know it. And um, uh, it it is the 
it, it completes the purpose for which man, mankind was created. So he mentions the ayah, I did not create jinn and men except that they may worship me. So obviously in the Sharia of Islam, there are things which are unique that weren't in the previous uh, legislations. Uh, for example, the specific details to do with the prayer, the five prayers, uh, the, spe- the specifics of the fasting, the specifics of, of Ramadan in general, um, and all the various other obligations. So this was just a, a useful classification from uh, Ibn, Ibn Taymiyyah. And uh, after this, he then goes on to mention Shaykh al-Islam um, another manifestation of how the religion is preserved and this is from the angle of the religion itself and the transmission of the religion itself and the explanation of the religion to people that in itself <coughs> preserves the religion so he says Shaykh al-Islam he says it is a duty upon every single person to expend his efforts and his abilities, whatever is in within his abilities, to have knowledge of whatever the messenger came with, and to obey him. And that we see that the scholars of transmission and criticism, he's speaking about the muhaddithin, those who had knowledge of the riwayah and the isnad, the knowledge of reporting, and knowledge of the chains of narration, they traveled to various places and they abandoned things in which there was pleasure and relaxation and they departed from their properties, meaning their possessions and wealth, and likewise their offspring. And they spent, you know, of, of their wealth and they basically uh, abandoned food and drink. And, you know, having all the companionship and things of that nature. Why? Because they, they, they embarked upon having patience in difficulties and hardships. All of this in order to seek knowledge and then to preserve that knowledge. He's speaking about the muhaddithin. And um, he says that this was something that Allah put in the hearts of those people. He put it in the hearts of those people. He made this all of these you know, actions that they did to, to, to be beloved to them. And that this was a means by which Allah preserved his religion. Meaning inspiring these people, these scholars, like Imam al-Bukhari, Imam Muslim, and likewise those before them, uh, and the Sahaba who traveled. But those who traveled in order to gather the reports and the narrations, who Allah is the one who put that in the hearts of those people. And so this was one of the means of preservation of his religion, by Allah beautifying that in the hearts of those people, just like he beautifies, for example, in the hearts of the people of Kital and Jihad, you know, bin nafs wal mal, Allah puts, Allah makes those things beloved to certain people. And by way of that, those people preserve the religion as well, in their particular way. Right? So, Ibn Taymiyyah gives this example as another manifestation as to how Allah in terms of what he has legislated in his religion, it maintains and preserves the religion itself, which is to make da'wah to Allah, to acquire knowledge and then to make da'wah to Allah, and then to explain the deen of Allah And then he obviously illustrates by way of the muhaddithin, the scholars of hadith who went and collected. And this you do not find 
in the previous books. You don't, you, don't, you don't have this body of knowledge, you don't have this efforts expended by the Yahud or by the uh, Nasara, for example. They don't have such, have such notions in their, in their religion. <coughs> so this is, so in other words, all these examples that we've been bringing from Ibn Taymiyyah, he's showing from numerous different angles to show how Islam in what it commands and prohibits itself is preserving itself. You know, the, 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 the first of the five necessities. Then he also gives another example in which he says that the, the, the explanation of the deen of, of Islam بيان دين الإسلام بالعلم وبيان أن ما خالفه ضلال وجهل هو تثبيت لأصل دين الإسلام واجتناب لأصل غيره من الأديان. So he says likewise just to explain the deen of Islam with knowledge. So to explain Tawheed, to explain the prayer and its you know conditions and pillars and to explain the various other acts of worship. This itself and likewise to explain what opposes the deen of islam from the you know that which which is kufr and shirk and bid'ah and so on and so forth this itself is tathbit it is establishing the, the the root and the foundation of islam itself and avoiding the foundations and roots of other religions so all of these examples that we've looked at in the previous lesson and today's lesson this was from the angle of Al-Wujud. Al-Wujud. Remember we said that um, these five necessities of religion, uh, life, um, you know, wealth, property, and, and, and offspring, so on and so forth, that law deals with them from two angles. Minjani bil wujud from the angle of existence, meaning ensuring that they exist. And then Minjani bil Adam to ensure that they do not expire into non-existence. Right, so these examples we've looked at so far from Ibn Taymiyyah, all of them are examples uh, related to how uh, Islam is is rooted into the hearts of the people and spread among the people and taught and propagated and preserved, right? And from all these different uh, roots. Now we're going to look at the second angle, Minjani bil Adam, from the angle of non-existence, to show how. You know, the, 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 the commands and the prohibitions, they ensure that Islam or, or deen, sound religion, does not expire and disappear. So, he gives some, gives some interesting angles uh, in this respect. So, the first of those that we're going to look at is At-Tahdir, At-Tahdir min ash-shirki wa riya To prohibit from shirk and riya. And again, from all these examples, you will see the completion and the perfection of the guidance brought by the Messenger Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and the completion and the perfection of the Quran in in establishing the religion and then preserving the religion. So, look at what he explains. He says first of all that uh, what is the true religion? Ad-Dinul Haq. The true religion is which is to establish servitude to Allah to be enslaved to Allah alone from every single angle. This is the true religion. And this means to establish, to bring about the love of Allah in all of its levels. And to the extent 
that a person completes his subservience to Allah, then to that same extent does he complete his love of his Lord. And likewise, the other way around, the love of the Lord for his servant. And conversely, to the extent that there is deficiency in any of this, in his servitude to Allah, in his ubudiyah to Allah, then there will be a deficiency in, in you know, his religion, in his love of Allah and Allah's love of him. So this means that every single action that a person performs, which is not done for the sake of Allah, it is not done sincerely, and every action which is not in agreement with the Sharia, then it is not for Allah. It is not for Allah. And and this is because an action is only for Allah if it is first of all sincere, it is done with ikhlas, and secondly if it is done in agreement with the details of the Sharia. It is uh, you know with al mutabaa following and imitating the Messenger of Allah sallam. So now as we know. This is the very foundation of the religion. That we worship Allah alone, sincerely. And that we do not worship Him except with what He revealed. Every time a person swerves and deviates away from this, which is the asal of the religion, then that means he is causing the religion to be undermined. And causing the religion to be lost. In other words, an instance of riyah, you do a deed and you are showing off. That means something of the deen has been lost. Has been lost. Why? Because that, that means the non-existence of the deen in that specific instance. So, um, this means, so, so once we understand how things are working now, like in, in each person and the heart of each person, and that ar-riyah, as-sum'ah, and you know, these things, showing off, seeking to be heard, uh, things like that, then that means the loss of religion. So, from the ways that Islam ensures the preservation of religion is emphasizing sincerity to Allah and seeking only His face alone and warning from all of those things which eat away and corrode a person's deen. So then he mentions that hadith, what is you know ascribed, ascribed, or, uh, or related from the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu that, and Ibn Rajab al-Hambali wrote uh, an explanation of this hadith. He said that two hungry, um, you know, two hungry wolves, which are on either side of a you know some flock that they are not more harmful than a man's love and eagerness for wealth and honor. Right? They are not more harmful to that flock than a man's desire for wealth and honor are to his religion. So in other words, Ibn Tabi says that the Messenger of Allah explained that when a man becomes eager and desirous of al-mal wa sharf, which is wealth, and looking for status and recognition and honor, that these two things are more harmful in corrupting his religion. That their harm is not less than when you have two you know, uh, wolves 
who are hungry and who are on other side of a flock of sheep. So what this means here, he says, whoever is not sincere to Allah, a servant of Allah, enslaved to Allah, then it means his heart will then become enslaved to um, to, uh, to to other than him. And he will then become humiliated or humble to that thing, whatever it is. Right? So either he will humble himself to Allah and be enslaved only to Allah, or other those other things will enslave him. Right? And then the devils will dominate his heart. And he will become from the Ghaween, the, those who deviated. And he will be from the brethren, brethren, Ikhwanu Shiyateen, the brethren of the devils. And then there will be appear within him evil and corruption, what no one knows except Allah Azza wa Jal. He says, وَهَذَا أَمْرٌ ضَرُورِي لَا حِيلَةً فِيهِ This is something which is absolutely necessary, there's no escape from it. For the heart, for the heart, إِنْ لَمْ يَكُنْ حَنِيفًا مُقْبِلًا عَلَى اللَّهِ مُعْرِذًا عَمَّا سِوَاهِ وَإِلَّا كَانَ مُشْرِكًا He says the heart, if it is not hanif, if it is not upright, turned only to Allah, directing all, directed only to Allah, turning away from everything that, that is besides Him, either that, or otherwise it will be, that heart will be, وَإِلَّا كَانَ مُشْرِكًا You will fall into shirk. So the point that Ibn Taymiyyah is making from this example here, is to show with the issue of al-ikhlas wa sincerity to Allah and showing off. Because this is the, the asal, the foundation of the religion itself, then we see that the sharia of Islam has come with a warning from shirk in such a way, in such an emphatic way, we see in the Qur'an prohibitions, even the messengers are warned against falling into shirk, even the messenger of Allah is, 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 is warned from uh, falling into shirk. If, if you committed shirk, your, your deeds would be vain and you would be from the losers. And then all of the examples, uh, the, the hadith to do with uh, sincerity, uh, seeking the face of Allah and the prohibition of ar-riya and the prohibition and you know how it's um, hidden and secret. All these things, these are manifestations as to how Allah and the Messenger of Allah has le- have legislated things and prohibited certain things for the preservation of religion itself. Right? The prohibition of riyadh, the prohibition of uh, minor shirk. That's one illustration. And you can see obviously these are very insightful um, uh, observations being made by Ibn Taymiyyah about the nature of this uh, religion and how it is self-preserving. Right? It is self-preserving, self-preservation. Second example that he brings that we're going to look at is Muharabatul Murtaddin. Muharabatul Murtaddin. Which is opposing or waging war against the, the Murtaddin, the Murtad, the apostates. So Ibn Taymi says, and the, the numerous uh, angles that we're going to look at this from, inshallah, because this, this is the preservation of the religion. And he has some interesting insights as to how and why the Murtad is effectively waging a war. And how he's waging a war. So, for the first quote from Ibn Taymiyyah, he says, It is obligatory, يَجِبُ عَلَى الْإِنسَانِ أَنْ يَأْمُرَ بِالصَّلَاةِ كُلَّ مَنْ يَقْدِرُ عَلَى عَمْرِهِ He says, It is obligatory upon a person to command the prayer, 
every person, command with the prayer, every person who is under his command. And if he does not command uh, the prayer, uh, you know, um, then he's not deserving of being from the soldiers of the Muslims. He should command his wife, he should encourage her with a raghba, he should encourage her and, you know, instill fear in her as well. And if she still refuses to pray, he should uh, divorce her upon the correct opinion. Likewise, the one who abandons the zakah, it should be taken from him forcefully. And any person who knows the condition of one of a person who does not pray and does not give the zakah, then he must boycott him and should not give salam to him, nor should he respond to his invitation. So meaning here that the, that the uh, rights of Islam are suspended. Right? When a person does not pray, does not you know, uh, fulfill the, the obligations. And any person who knows of a person who does not do that, then doesn't give salam to him, he boycotts him, he does not accept his invitation, and he rebukes him, and is you know, uh, stern against him, until he establishes the prayer, and until he gives the zakah. And likewise, if a wife is abandoning the prayer, then the husband doesn't have any obligation to spend upon her. And you know he should... Uh, if he uh, boycotts her and does not have any relations with her, then he is someone who is muhsin. He is someone who is doing good. So this is now on a personal level, right? On a per- like an individual and a man who has control over his in, in his household. Look at how these things are there to preserve the religion, right? When people are not observing the obligations. Similarly, on a state level, on the level of a state, he says. Every ta'ifa, every group of faction who comes out and refuses or withholds to abide by the legislations of Islam, the outward well-known legislations, right? Like the prayer, the fasting, the giving of the, 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 the obligatory charity, then these people, it is necessary to fight them. Even if they profess the shahada, right? So for example, these people might say, okay, we're going to pray, but you know, we're not going to give the zakah. They refuse to give the zakah. They should be fought against till they give the zakah. Or, yeah, we accept the prayer, but you know we're not going to fast. We you know, don't really agree with the fasting. They should be fought until they, they fast. Same with the pilgrimage. So, or if they say, for example, yeah, we'll do these obligations, but we're not going to leave khamar. We're not going to leave drinking. And we're not, we're not going to leave fornication or dealing with interest or doing other types of fawahish, right? So in other words, they'll accept some things, but they'll withhold and restrain from accepting other things. These people are to be uh, to be fought until the deen, all of it is for Allah Azawajal. So meaning that when, when a party or a group, like happened in the time of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, some, group, some people said, we're not going to give the zakah. We're not required to give the zakah. Yeah, we'll accept everything else. So now here we see these people are kind of rebelling and they are causing the deen to be lost. Right, just like the wife or the child in the house is causing the deen to be lost when they don't establish the prayer. So you can see how, and um, at the level of the household, and likewise at the level of the state, there are commands that ensure the preservation of the religion, that the religion should not be lost. Then we have another. This is another uh, another manifestation number two. This now is to do with reviling the messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. 
And it's interesting how Shaykh al-Islam breaks this down. Because reviling the Messenger of Allah is undermining the religion from its very foundations. And that's why, in fact, this is a, a, a pertinent issue to raise, especially in our time where you see this discussion of apostasy and uh, these people uh, claiming you know, the freedom of speech to make fun and abuse and revile things that other people hold inviolable. So, in his book, Asarum al-Maslul, Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah, he says, أَمَّا انتهاك عِرْدِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى فَإِنَّهُ مُنَافٍ لِدِينِ اللَّهِ بِالْكُلِّيَّةِ فَإِنَّ الْعِرْضِ مَتَنْتُهِكَ سَقَطَ الْإِحْتِرَامِ وَالتَّعْذِيمِ فَسَقَطَ مَا جَاءَ بِهِ مِنَ الرِّسَالَةِ فَبَطَلَ الدِّينِ He says, as for violating the honor of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, then this, it invalidates or negates the religion entirely. He says, for indeed al-ird, like the honor, when the honor, when it is violated, then all respect and veneration is lost. As a consequence of that, then whatever the risala, the messengership has come with, then fasakat, it, 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 it is invalidated. And then the religion becomes invalidated. Therefore, to establish the praise and extolling of the messenger of Allah and ta'zim, to, re, to respect him and venerate him, and tawqeer, right? In this is the establishment of the entire religion. So he's contrasting. In one there is establishing the religion itself, and in the other there is the very the very negation of the religion itself. And so wasukutu dalik sukutu din kulle. So to, um, to 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 basically remove this kind of veneration and praise and respect, it means the invalidation and the fall of the entire religion uh, itself. So when it is when this is the case, وَإِذَا كَانَ كَذَلِكَ وَجِبَ عَلِينَا أَن نَنْتَصِرَ لَهُ مِمَّنْ تَحَكَ عِرْضًا So when this is the case, it is obligatory upon us that when anyone who violates his honor, that we seek, that we aid and support him, and we seek, we seek, uh, you know, vengeance. وَالْإِنْتِسَارَ لَهُ بِالْقَتَلِ And this this is for the rulers, because um, because to violate his honor is to violate the entire religion. Now this, um, well, there's another quote, the statement that will come through, inshallah, in a short while. But this is like, for example, if you said to a person who loves and respects his mother, and you uh, spoke of, of her in a, in a very undignified, you know, with the worst of titles that you could give for a woman, that you are a promiscuous, filthy, despicable woman, and you know, you, you and even though this is a lie, and you allow the, the 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 honor and the veneration and the respect that that woman has to be completely eradicated, then what is it that you're really doing? You are you are you know you you are eradicating that that respect and veneration that is due to her, and then all of the rights that then follow on from that, all of those are completely undermined. Right when you open up, up this door, right. So, in a similar manner, when you open up the door 
So this is a very clear example to understand, which can be explained to another person. Would you allow me to abuse and revile your mother with these, you know, uh, filthy, despicable accusations and which are false, just for the sake of freedom of speech, right? And would you allow me to create this animosity and whatever? No person would, would, would agree with that who has any, any aqal or any reason. But when it comes to the messengers of Allah and the messenger of Allah specifically, then because the religion is founded upon the truthfulness of the messenger of Allah then any violation of his honor and any violation of his, of his states and standing, then this basically, essentially, it is a person attempting to undermine the entire religion from its very foundations. So this is tantamount to basically announcing a, a war against uh, Islam, a war against the deen of Allah Azawajal. So Ibn Taymiyyah explains, he says, to understand why this is the case, he, he has a nice elaboration. وَالطَّاعٍ فِي الرَّسُولِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهُ وَسَلَّمُ قَدْ حَارَبَ اللَّهَ وَرَسُولَهُ وَيَسْعَى فِي الْعَرْضِ فَسَادًا لِأَنَّ الْفَسَادَ نَوْعَانِ The one who reviles the Messenger of Allah وسلم, he has waged war against Allah and His Messenger. And he strives upon the earth with corruption because corruption is of two types. فَسَادُ الدُّنْيَا مِنَ الدِّمَاءِ وَالْأَمْوَالِ وَالْفُرُوجِ So the first type of corruption in the world is where you corrupt the world by either shedding blood or taking wealth, or by the furuj, meaning unlawful intercourse, unlawful intercourse, right? Which is intercourse outside of marriage or rape or things, this this kind of thing. This is corruption now upon the upon the, in terms of the dunya. And secondly, is fasadul din, corruption of the religion. <clears throat> now, when a person who comes and reviles the messenger of Allah, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, wa yaqafi erde, and reviles his honor attacks his honor, <clears throat> then this person strives to corrupt the religion of the people. And then by way of corrupting their religion, it doesn't just end there. He intends and strives by that to corrupt their world as well. Why is this? This is because the deen of, has obviously come with rights and obligations and preservation of the necessities as we are discussing of religion, of life, of wealth, of lineage, of, of, of wealth and honor, whatever. And so when you undermine the religion, you are also undermining the world as well. Because Islam has come to guarantee the rights and all beneficial interests of the people. So really this person, it's not just a matter of you are, you are reviling and abusing and mocking and, you know, right? You are actually undermining the entire basis of, um, you know, of, um, of, of, of people's worldly affairs, of those affairs in which their beneficial interests lie. Now, he goes on to explain, whether so when a person comes and he reviles the messenger of Allah, for argument's sake, let's say whether he has actually corrupted anyone's religion or not. That's besides the point, Right? The point is that any person who strives to corrupt the affair of the religion in this manner by reviling the messenger of Allah فَقَدْ سَعَى فِي الْأَرْضِ فَسَادًا Right, he's at the same time also striving to bring corruption upon the earth. Right? Even if he fails in his effort. So even if he doesn't achieve what he's doing, 
nevertheless what he's engaged in is striving to cause corruption upon the earth in the in the worldly affairs of the people so he says wata'an fi din wa taqbih hal ar-rasul sallam fi a'yun an-nas wa tanfirihim anhu min a'zam al min a'zam al-fasad to revile the religion and to make the appearance of the messenger of allah sallam to be to be you know ugly in the eyes of the people and to make them flee from him this is from the greatest of fasad just as to make dua for him or to to uh, to, to to call people to respect him and venerate him this is from the greatest of rectification and corruption is opposed to rectification so just like every speech which allah loves and every action which allah loves and is pleased with it is from salah likewise every action and every speech which he hates then it is automatically from fasad so also when a person reviles the sanctity of the messenger of allah sallam and he uh, attacks his status he has harmed and he harms allah and his messenger and the believing servants and he basically makes the servants to be the disbelieving uh, servants of allah you know the disbelievers the, the disbelieving souls in fact he makes them he encourages them to attack the affair of islam and to humiliate the believing souls and to put an end to the the sanctity and the might of of the religion and to make the word of allah to be lower right this is what a person who reviles the messenger this is what this is what he's doing he wants to humiliate the believers that when he speaks ill of the messenger of allah this is what his intent is to hum- humiliate the believers and to you know to to remove the, the the sanctity and the honor of islam and to bring down and to lower the word of allah azza wa jal and this of course is the greatest type of corruption and corruption can occur he says wal ifsadu qad yakunu bil yad wa qad yakunu bil lisan corruption can be by way of the hand and it can be by way of the tongue wa ma yufsiduhu al lisan min al adyani ad'afu ma tufsiduhu al yad what the tongue can corrupt of religion is multiple times more what the hand can corrupt of religion i mean the tongue is much more powerful so for example <clears throat> the corruption that an apostate a hypocrite or even like an innovator can bring by way of the tongue is multiple times more than what an army can bring by way of the hand and this is very very clear so imtimi is given this to show how when a person in his speech like a person might say well what's wrong with speech it's just speech it's not very harmful this is not true because the damage of speech to al adyan to, to to religions and to doctrines is much more than the damage or the harm of the the, the physical harm of the hand and just like in in the same way in the opposite way that whatever the tongue can rectify of religion is multiple times more than what the hand can rectify sometimes you can rectify people much easier by way of the tongue it's easy to do so and you can do it on a much larger scale than you can with the hand with an army with with with, with force so he says um fathabata it is then established anna muharabat allah wa rasulah bil lisani ashad it is now established from all of these considerations that to wage war against allah and his messenger with the tongue is more severe and to strive upon the earth 
in order to corrupt the deen with the tongue is you know even more even even more the case so therefore this person who reviled allah and reviled his messenger is more worthy of being called al muharib al mufsid min qati at-tariq so in other words the one who basically reviles the messenger of allah this person is more worthy of being called one who a, a, a wager of war than the one who cuts off the paths of travel meaning the highway robber right even though highway robbery as you know in the ayah in uh, uh, surah al-maida that people are engaged in highway robbery robbing people on the roads killing them taking their possessions and making pe- people fearful of traveling right the ones who make people fearful of traveling they are wages of war against allah however the one who does this reviles the messenger of allah he ibn taymiyyah is arguing here that this person is more worthy more worthy of being called a muharib and mufsid than the highway robber himself why because of the considerations that he that that he <coughs> that he basically uh, mentioned so now so as you can see we we're looking at different manifestations of the preservation of the religion first of all we looked at a man in his house ensuring the obligations are fulfilled then we looked at the state level when people decide to rebel and withhold from some of the open <coughs> well known obligations they are they are to be forced even if they are fought they are, they are fought and forced to comply otherwise this means loss of the religion likewise in the case of the murtad or the not the, also the murtad but the one who reviles the messenger of Allah whether he is a muslim or a non-muslim right this is waging war against uh, the, the deen of Allah azza wa jal and it is also causing corruption upon the ard as well and you know he explained all of that and then he moves to another illustration and we'll finish with with uh, this uh, illustration and then he moves on to speak about um the people of beliefs which entail kufr and disbelief and how to wage war against them is from the jihad that Allah has commanded so he says he gives an example hakadha haula haula al-ittihadiyya fa ru'usuhum hum a'immatu kufr yajibu qatlihim those he's speaking about the ittihadiyya were a group of people who came along they were really disbelievers inside and they claimed that Allah azza wa jal he unites with people from within his creation and he becomes one with his creation or that there are people who can unite and become one with Allah right al ittihad so these were were basically these were fa innahu min a'dham az-zanadika alladhina yudhiruna al-islam wa yubtiluna a'dham al-kufr these people were the greatest of heretics they used to proclaim islam and used to conceal disbelief and in any case what does he say about them he says wa yajibu uqubatu kulli man intasaba ilayhim aw dhabba anhum aw athna alayhim aw azama kutubahum aw arafa bima aw urifa bimusa'adatihim wa mu'awanatihim aw kariha al-kalam fihim he says it is obligatory to punish everyone who ascribes to them or who defends them or who praises them or who venerates their books or who, who is known to aid them and assist them or who dislikes that they should be spoken against or who makes excuses for them and the likes of these excuses which are not said except by an ignoramus or a hypocrite rather it is obligatory to punish 
everyone who knows their condition and did not assist in standing against them. Because standing against these types of people is from the greatest obligations of the religion. Why? Because لِأَنَّهُمْ أَفْسَدُوا adyan. Because these people with their corrupt doctrines, they corrupt the minds and they corrupt the religion. And they do so upon many of the mashayikh, the ulama, the muluk, wal-umara. Meaning these people with their doctrines, they corrupt many of the rulers, many of the mashayikh, many of the scholars, many of the kings. As we know in history, the Mu'tazila corrupted many of the, of the rulers until they convinced them of the doctrine of the creation of the Qur'an. And throughout many different eras of, 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 of uh, Islam, you see there were different um, uh, dynasties and states and either they were poisoned with Shi'ism or they were poisoned with Sufism or they were poisoned by these extreme Sufi ideas. And all of this is loss of religion. So Ibn Taymiyyah is saying that to stand against the likes of these people and to uh, f- you know, to, to, to wage war against them and even those who excuse them and aid them and support them, this is from the greatest obligations of the religion because these people, they hinder others from the uh, path of Allah Azawajal. And he says that their harm of the religion is greater than those who harm the Muslims in their world. And... Um, for example, he says their harm is greater than the highway robbers and the Mongols, the Tatars. Because the Mongols and Tatars, when they came, they actually allowed a person to practice his religion. They, were, they, were, they gave people freedom of religion. Right? You could be a Jew, you could be a Christian, you could be a Muslim, you could be whatever. Even though they were uh, restrictive upon Muslims. But nevertheless, they came and they corrupted the worldly affairs of the Muslims. Likewise, the highway robbers. What do they do? They, they harm the worldly affairs. But as for these types of people who come with these doctrines, these extreme, deviant, heretical doctrines which, in, in, you know, which, which uh, entail disbelief, when they come and they corrupt the minds and the hearts of the people, their harm is much, much greater than the harm of the you know, highway robbers and the, and, and the Tartars and the enemies and people like them. So we'll stop at this point because the time for prayer has, has entered. So... Uh, basically you can see how from the angle min janibil adam to ensure, ensure that the religion does not expire into non-existence you can see how the sharia of islam commands many many things for the individual in his household or to the state or to the scholars or to the rulers to ensure the preservation of the religion right its doctrines it's the 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 the, fara'i, the the obligations, and in this manner, it ensures that this necessity of the deen is is preserved and is not lost. So we'll stop our lesson there for today, inshallah. I think we can complete this session in the last uh, lesson. Hopefully, uh, in the next lesson, we'll complete this particular section and very quickly go through uh, Ibn Taymiyyah's statements on some of the other necessities, and that will conclude the series inshallah ta'ala so we'll conclude our lesson there for today and we'll continue the next time that we meet up alhamdulillah rabbil alameen wa sallallahu ala nabina muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in